Pastor Tom and Heather are away bonding with their first grandchild, the task falls to me to steer us back into uh, the book of Acts, uh, where Tom left us off before we had our Palm Sunday and Easter interlude. But it seems like a bit of a jump, you know, we're, we've been in Acts for however long, and then we stop and we do Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we, so we go back to Acts. But it's entirely appropriate because the story of what happened on that marvelous first day of the week, that story was being told all around the Mediterranean Sea and beyond that to God only knows how many people. For the gospel itself is what happened on that first Easter morning. I mean, that's it. Without Easter, there is no good news. There's a great teacher who did some cool miracles and all of that, but there's no good news. Without Easter, there is absolutely no point for any of us being here this morning. But in this morning's passage, we have recorded for us the first recorded instance of that Easter story reaching the continent of Europe. And what we will see in Acts chapter 16, 11 through 40, is the tangible evidence of the power that was unleashed from that one event on that one Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see it in the radically changed lives of those there in Philippi and here in Holden, the lives of those who heard that story of Easter and came to believe in the only human ever to be raised up out of death. The only human so far, that is. But just, we we need to be clear about this, that this power is, it's not that Jesus was brought back to life. That's not the gospel. I mean, Lazarus was brought back to life. Jesus brought other people back to life. They all had to die again. This is what happened to Jesus. This is no heavenly AED device. Clear. No. This is an entirely new form of human existence. Of which Jesus is only the first of many, many more to follow. For now, for anyone and everyone, everyone who puts their hope in Jesus, his life of Easter becomes ours. 
And when this earthly biological life ends, as Jesus' earthly biological life ended on Good Friday, that life in us, Jesus' eternal, heavenly, not of this world, Easter life, that life now becomes ours and just keeps right on rolling forever. And that simple story of Easter, life for all, is about to invade the continent of Europe. And it starts in Philippi. You can see that thing sticking out there, Galatia, Asia, Cilicia. That's, of course, today's Turkey. And as Pastor Tom mentioned to us before Palm Sunday, uh, Paul got a message, a vision, from a guy in Macedonia. That's Philippi in big letters. That, that whole area there, we would know it today as northern Greece, so there is still a country called Macedonia up there. But that's the continent of Europe. And this is the first recorded instance we have of the gospel getting there. And we'll be reading this morning our passage, it's a long one, in chunks. So when we get there in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to keep your fingers in your Bibles or your bookmarks on your phones, whichever you do. And as we read, notice that the author, Luke, joins, Pastor Tom mentioned this, couple of weeks ago, Luke joins Paul and Silas and Timothy in Troas, which is actually the old Troy of legend. And it's about 50 AD, give or take a year or two, which is only 20 years after Easter morning. And Luke is an eyewitness now to what will happen in Philippi. You'll notice this is famously called the we passages, where Luke is, he's watching it happen. And so he uses the first person plural there. Now, word about Luke, he's something of a scientist. He's a physician by training. So perhaps Luke knew about the placebo effect. This is when a patient is given a sugar pill, but thinks it's a medication. Now, lots of studies have been done on this phenomenon. It's a real thing. But with all the studies they've done on placebos, they still can't figure out how or why sometimes the placebo works. The patient actually does improve. And sometimes it doesn't. They don't know. But what Dr. Luke, the science guy, observes and records for us in Philippi is the non-placebo effect. This is the real deal. The actual power of heaven itself for the actual healing of earthly creatures like ourselves. Actual healing and restoration of heart, mind, soul, and body. 
And they're all shock waves emanating from what happened here on earth in that one tomb outside the city of Jerusalem on that one day that we call Easter Sunday. So if you're like me, using an old-fashioned Bible, we're on page 983. And we'll be taking this in little chunks as we go along. So page 983, the word of the Lord from the book of Acts, chapter 16, beginning with verse 11. Luke writes, from Troas, we, so Luke is with them now, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, which is a little island off the coast, and next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Probably wasn't all that difficult to persuade them. So let's see um, how well we've been listening to Pastor Tom. Pop quiz. I'm a retired teacher. Pop quiz. I never gave pop quizzes to my students, but I frequently give them to congregations. Okay, here we go. Where does the Apostle Paul usually, like almost always, go on the Sabbath? Now, see that, Tom? They've been, they've been tuned in totally. Of course, the synagogue. That's always his first stop. But in Philippi, he can't go to the synagogue because apparently there isn't one. The Jewish presence in Philippi is somewhere between marginal and non-existent. Philippi is a Roman colony populated largely by war-hardened veterans of the ruthless Roman legions. But Paul and his traveling buddies had heard about a ladies' prayer meeting gathering outside the city, and they decide to go there and pray with them. And surprise, Paul starts preaching. Now, one of those women who probably organized this prayer meeting is Lydia. She is a non-Jewish believer in the God of the Jewish people. 
Lydia is an independent, hugely successful businesswoman. She's loaded. Purple cloth is the most expensive material one can obtain in the Roman world. And Lydia sells it. And she owns a very big house which will become the first church in Philippi to whom Paul will send his letter to the Philippians. And I can't tell you how difficult it was for me in preparing this sermon to not talk all about the book of Philippians because it's one of our favorite books. We all love it, right? But we're just going to do Philippi. But contrary to what anyone would have thought to look at Lydia, she is a woman with all of her success and all of her wealth and all of her influence. She does not have it all until... Luke writes, the Lord opened her heart to respond to, to receive Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. So remember, friends, it is never how persuasive or compelling or clever, or winsome, or compassionate, or ongoing one might be in sharing the glorious message of what happened on Easter morning, it is the Lord. It is only the Lord, and it is only ever the Lord who unlocks a human heart to hear and receive him. We are here today, miracle of miracles, only because God had the power to open this heart and that heart, yours and mine. Only God can do that. And now act two. Now usually there's an intermission between act one and act two, but... We're going to bypass the intermission because we're excited. We want to keep going, right? Act 2 has a few, has three scenes in it. So the first scene, back to our Bibles, is verse 16 through 18. Again, the word of the Lord. Once, as we, here's Luke again, we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation, they are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. Stalker. Paul was greatly annoyed. (laughs) Turning to the spirit, not the slave girl, turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. 
Now, it would be difficult to find anyone in Philippi whose life is more different from Lydia's than this poor girl's. Luke describes her as a pythoness. That is, a person supposedly inspired by Apollo, the Greek god particularly associated with the giving of oracles, most famously at Delphi. This enslaved teenager's utterance, and she might have not even been quite a teenager yet. She's a young girl. But her utterances were regarded as the very voice of the god Apollo. And she would have been in great demand by people who wanted their futures and their fortunes told. Her owners make a ton of money off of her demonically induced suffering. But, as we know, the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has authority over every evil power. And, hallelujah, every evil power knows it. He's never, ever, ever challenged when Jesus goes around casting out demons. They never say, well, let's make a deal. Or, you know, uh, who do you think you are? They can't challenge him because they know where they stand in the hierarchy of power from God. So the demon has no choice but to submit to the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Paul says, I command you to come out of her. And immediately, no discussion, no argument, no bargaining, Immediately, the captive, that captive, that girl, just think about what she could have been through. She's free. Immediately. Yet another tangible proof of that liberating, unstoppable power of God let loose upon the whole world from that one single event of Easter morning. Scene 2, verse 19 through 24, the word of the Lord. When her owners... Slave girl's owners realized that their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice, which is a crock. Nothing illegal about what they're doing. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, 
ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So while this girl, praise God, is now free from Satan's bondage, her handlers have to deal with the economic impact of that same gospel message on them. These guys could have cared less what Paul was preaching about. They don't care. They don't care until it tanks their income. Then they notice. What's in your wallet? Well, nothing now. Jesus compels demons to obey. They have no choice. That same Jesus of authority and power invites, not compels, not orders, not forces, but invites us to willingly, gratefully, and joyfully relinquish all that we have into his hands. He invites us to entrust our very selves entirely to him. It's not an order. It's an offer of grace and mercy. Scene 3, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we are all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced. Because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So after being beaten with rods dragged into the innermost recesses of the city dungeon, 
had their feet locked in the stocks, these are dangerous characters, in the damp, cold, utter darkness around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, singing hymns and psalms to God. A huge earthquake, very common in that region, shakes all the prison doors off of their hinges, busts open the locks of all the prisoners chained either to the wall or the floor or both. And the jailer, startled awake, is about to take his own life, which would be preferable to facing the way his superiors would surely deal with him should only one of those prisoners escape. They will have no mercy on him, so he's about to take his own life. But none of those prisoners leave. They're all still there, as gripped with fear and wonder as the jailer. And then in verse 30, every pastor's fantasy. Excuse me, pastor. Uh, How do I become a Christian? I have had that happen a few times. My answer, I'm not proud to admit, was nowhere near as pithy as Paul's. Oh, come on in. I've got another hour or two to talk to you about this. Paul, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, not even a repent. I mean, where did Paul learn to preach? Just believe and you will be saved. Now, in Scripture, and this is consistent throughout the Bible, to believe, and Pastor Tom addressed this just last week, to believe does not mean to come to an intellectual acknowledgement of the existence of a really great teacher and an amazing guy named Jesus. That's easy. To believe, biblically, means to entirely and trust the entirety of one's very being, heart, mind, body, and soul into Jesus' personal care. To personally trust him in all things at all times, no matter what is going on in our lives. So the jailer, evidence of true belief, he brings them into his own home, which is probably just above the prison, tends to their wounds. Remember, it's the middle of the night. Tends to their wounds, feeds them, and is filled with joy because his whole household, his family, and his servants, everyone in that Home has come to believe in Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. They've come to believe in the Easter story. 
Because there is no believing biblically without believing in the Easter story of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What a night! And then there's an epilogue. Two acts and an epilogue. The word of the Lord, verse 35. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, I don't think so. They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens. And threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? No, they're not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them. And escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house. Where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. So when the sun's up, his bosses send word to the jailer. Those guys can go now. Now, Paul Paul doesn't always pull out his I'm a Roman citizen card when he gets into trouble. I mean, if I had one of those, I I would have flashed it everywhere. Probably pinned it to the front of my robe. See, Roman citizen, do not touch. Paul doesn't always do that, but he does here. An itty-bitty infant church has been birthed in the city of Philippi. And a whole big new family now is joining it. Luke doesn't say this, but isn't it intriguing to wonder if that formerly enslaved Pythonus is part of this community too? Declaring his Roman citizenship to the Roman authorities will help protect these infant Christians, for a while anyway, from legal and social harassment. The authorities won't want to mess with a church like that, at least for a while. So we've got one very rich lady, one very poor slave girl, former slave girl, and one very bitter, hardened man. Each one freed from sickness, Satan, and sin. Because God opened each of their hearts to believe.
in Jesus. Proof that God is still operating with the same mechanism, just as surely as he was then, is right here this morning. Who of us is here for any other reason that God somehow, talk about a miracle, he opened my heart to respond to the truth of the gospel. How much energy and time did we expend pushing him off, keeping him at arm's length? And then in one moment, in, a, in, a, in an instant that none of us can explain why it happened, except God opened our hearts to believe. So whoever you might be praying for or speaking to regarding the power of Jesus, resurrection life, whoever in your life you might be giving testimony or bearing witness to what he has done by his power in you and incorporating that life into this life. That's the great joy and the work of our faith, isn't it? Letting the life that raised Jesus from the dead become embedded into and woven into our lives here. Be sure and be looking to God to do the hard part. <laughs> Sharing the gospel is not a big deal. But we, we have absolutely no power at all to open anyone's heart. God has all of that. So remember, and wherever in your life, your family, your friends, that you're seeking to bring that witness, be looking to God to open their hearts just as surely as he opened yours and mine.